Hello everyone, thanks for listening. You're listening to BizPod, part of the Behaviour Intervention Support Network. And I'm really pleased to welcome back Sylvia, who was in a, a podcast. Well, we've, we just finished one podcast and we're doing another one now. Yeah, we knew that we have, have a <laughs> part two. Well, we thought we'd break it up just for people that were really struggling to listen for as long as we were able to talk yeah we can um, be quite nerdy <laughs> but whereas your sort of last podcast we talked about uh, a lot about research and things like that I think this time I wanted to really focus in on maybe giving some ideas for both parents and professionals that are supporting people with autism that might be helpful that we've kind of both come across in practice over the years uh, we've we've managed to boil it down to sort of three each although I've written two and you appear to have written one on my list. Yes. Okay, well, I'll, I'm going to take that as mine then. <laughs> so, so really, it's 4-2 it, yeah. to yeah. Sylvia, but, you know, yeah. they, they can listen to me any time. Yeah, so that's fair not enough. count, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the competitive of me. Then... <laughs> you wanted to win, what? did you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, well I better let you go first then, seeing as you've right. got four. So what's your first tip? Well, my f- yeah, my first tip is that, well, first of all, it's just, you know, if, if you go on internet, there's a lot of different advice on what to do and what not to do. But um, I really believe, honestly, that when you have met one person with autism, you just met one person with autism. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think it's very important to get to know the person. When I'm referred a family or someone who's struggling in any areas, I don't know if I should say that, but I don't tend to read any reports. Okay. Because, and that's part of your Do you need me to edit that three. bit out in case <laughs> no. people are still sending you reports? Or? No, because I, I could argue my case in the sense that it's not that I dismiss other professionals' opinion, uh, because I do read what they have to say or what they've written and what their impressions are after. Yes. But I'm very aware that as human beings, we have this tendency, and we'll all do, and I do it too, um, to actually make assumptions about who that person that we're going to meet is before we've even met them. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have that level of biases confirmation bias isn't it I think it's called yeah Yeah. because sometimes you will go oh yes he's doing this it it did say in the report that they might do this and that and and I think it's very disrespectful to already make those conclusions about someone equally I wouldn't want people to assume about Mm. me so I think when it comes to someone on the spectrum I would like to get to know the person And then just uh, if I don't understand, then I can go back to reports or what have you, or conversations with people mm-hmm. who know that person very well. So that would be my first advice. Okay. Then, are we taking turns? I can do that. I can take that. I mean, it doesn't sound like you're that willing to, but, you know, you need to let me... It is my, my podcast at the moment, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> when you start your own, you can invite me on and just not let me say anything. But. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, just to, I guess to add to that one as well, because I'm aware that maybe lots of parents will be listening, and that idea of getting to know the person, well, obviously you will know your child. But it's one thing I, I talk to parents a lot about, actually, is that not not to forget that they are the expert 
in their child and they'll they'll come into contact with lots of people like myself telling them what autism is and what it means and all that kind of stuff but they'll be the person that knows what that looks like day to day so I mean I'm always encouraging the parents I work with to to kind of make themselves the expert to do all the the reading they can to understand things and connect that to their child um, and that kind of does tie in with not making assumptions because you know a, a professional might tell you that it this is going to happen yeah. but actually it might be different for you in your situation um, you know I did a, a little podcast recently about there not being one way of doing things in terms of behavior support so you, you you know, if, if someone, if, I always feel like if anyone's telling you this is the only way to work, I err on the side of caution. You know, it's yeah, dependent too. on the situation. Yeah, I, I do call that um, paranormal. There's a lot of people. Paranormal, like yeah. ghosts. Or? Yeah, like 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 the fact that some people might think that they can predict the future. Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. kind of that level of which you know paranormal abilities. In the sense that they would say to parents, even now, nowadays, or oh, he will never be able to do A, B, or C, and and my reply is always, oh gosh, I didn't know that he could, you know, read the future, yeah. <laughs> because you can't really make those assumptions, mm. and and actually, even if it's probable that things might remain slightly more static than you know for another person. It's so, you know, kind of heartbreaking for parents to, to hear that. Mm. And it lowers sometimes their expectations mm. as to, you know, what can they do. And, and, and I think as a parent myself, that's actually the worst thing that you can say to parents. One, because you don't know for sure that that's going to happen. Mm. And two, because... You know, when you're still trying to figure out what it means for your child to have autism or that you have struggled for some time to get him the right support and for people to understand his or her needs, to hear that is just unnecessary, in my opinion. Definitely, definitely. I'm just checking the time because I did the math math in my head and I figured if we got six and we've got half an hour, that's five minutes each is it yeah well let's let's we're only a minute over that's not too bad for us to be fair okay so the one that i had up there is is number one and i think it's something that i've got up on the top of my list because it was something i had to do a lot of when i started doing rdi and and practicing um the more kind of uh, one-to-one work with individuals on the spectrum uh, is to be aware of and to adjust your communication style. Um, I'm a talker. I'm not alone in this room as no. one of those. But <laughs> I talk quite fast and I use lots of hand movements and gestures and I, I, I probably send a lot of confusing signals for someone who's trying to figure out maybe one piece of the communication. You're nodding far too vigorously there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm <laughs> connecting right in there. So um, when one of the things I picked up on um, in RDI early on was I had to film myself. And that was not only mortifying, but also very eye-opening. And so I would always encourage anyone working with someone on the spectrum to just be aware of all the different levels of communication there are. You know, tone of voice, speed of voice, um, 
the the gestures they make, the facial gestures, the body language, the hand movements, and be able to adjust them so that you can work on each one accordingly. Because um, you know, one of the, the things that autism sometimes does is it gives someone that singular attention. Mm. That's the way I see it anyway. And and if and if they're attentive to one part of the communication, they might actually struggle with all the other parts at once. Um so I think awareness and the ability to adjust your communications gives you the tools to support a whole range of people rather than just one particular person. Absolutely. And one of the things that I tell tell parents is to go into a playground, uh, go to the park and just pay attention, even outside the school gates, to pay attention in how parents talk to the kids. Because what I, I've noticed is that parents will give that feedback so clearly. So if the, the child is climbing up a wall, they would go, no, Charlie, you can, don't do that, come off, because you can fall and you will hurt yourself. So you just kind of make sense of an instruction as mm-hmm. to why. And, you, and, and children, very young children, they would go, um, no wall, uh, hurt myself or something like that. So they, even if they don't have the whole um, verbal ability, they kind of link those ideas. Mm. Uh, but I think autism prevents parents from being able to, to be these declarative and mindful, not because they don't want to, it's because sometimes what it works better is just to say no stop don't do this yes yeah. and and going back to a level of communication where it goes back to that emotional feedback mm. i think eventually helps the child with autism to put those links together definitely and then you can adjust it for the circumstance can't you so if you've if you have got a child who's about to run into something dangerous you can use that very no stop but then (laughs) if you're doing some sort of one-to-one interaction you can be more declarative i'm really enjoying what we're doing this is making me feel good you look very happy um i mean we talk a lot in our training um that we deliver to parents about declarative and directive and those two differences so directive being an instruction a request or actually a question as well and then declarative being that kind of statementing Um, and so again it's just understanding all the different nuances of communication so you can pay attention to the one you use the most yeah absolutely and when to use more when to use less and um and when to give that feedback i think that's a very important one it's that i had a parent in the office the other day and she she was very aware of, of her own sort of interaction with the child and she said, I just feel like I'm nagging him all the time. Well, why, don't, why do you feel like you nag him? Because I have to, because he doesn't do what he should be doing. So it's that, it's, again, it's the relationship is affected by the autism. Not, yeah. You're not a nagging parent. It's just because that child needs more instruction, you end up giving them lots of instruction and the yeah. child probably ends up seeing you as a source of instruction. And sometimes... I feel like one of the best starting points is to start spending time with the child without really saying much at all and just showing them that you can just be there together without any pressure 
Yeah, and you build those blocks of connections, don't you? And I think when, as a parent, when you feel that you're nagging them, it's because you lose that sense of connection with your child. Mm. Because all you do is just give orders. Mm. And, and that's part of growing up and to teach kids. But most of the time, what we do is connecting with them, sharing experiences, um, building that emotional connection. And when you're constantly telling what not to do or what they have to do, that sense of collaboration and togetherness goes. Mm. Yeah. And you've only got so much time as well in the day. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, uh, so now you, well, you kind of touched on collaboration anyway, yeah. but you, that moves you yeah. on to... Yeah, my second one, one would, would be whatever you do, make it a collaboration. Um, and it goes back to what we were saying about connecting with with the child at whatever level you need to be connecting. Like you were saying that sometimes connection will be being physically present mm. or connection might mean being available. Um, but those levels of um, togetherness and the investment that the child has within those social interactions, I think they're very important. Mm. Because when we get very little feedback uh, from the autism, then the natural way of connecting is being more imperative and giving a lot mm. more instructions. And we need to view collaboration and connection in a broader way of, you know, sometimes sitting down, holding hands, or being sitting next to each other mm. without saying much, that brings that level of connection and collaboration that is so important. Just kind of to get togetherness for the sake of it, I guess. Because yeah. that that's often a starting point for the work, isn't it? Is getting the, the parent and the child to do things collaboratively. And actually, although you often get the parenting where um, because because the connection's been interrupted, there's a more directive approach, an imperative approach. You quite often also get the child being in charge and bossing to kind of, I think, to reduce the uncertainty of the interaction from their point of view. And so seeking collaboration when it happens, when it can happen, is really important. Loads of parents recently have been telling me that the best time they get connection with their child is actually in the car. Yeah. Because they're both mm. facing the same way. Yeah. There's like a, a, a sort of cer- certain amount of sensory input, but not maybe too much. And so that's um, that was going to be my number three actually. Oh. Okay. So you know, yeah. we'll see if there's time because you've obviously pushed out my number three. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll I need to, to make a, a number four. No, but but you're right. I mean, I think that is true for for all of us. I, you know, it is true for my husband. If I need to tell him something that I want full attention, I normally do it whilst driving in the car while he's driving. I think it takes those kind of expectations. They ease up that safety. Whereas if you have someone in front of you trying to talk to you, that creates quite an, an anxiety. But in the car, there's that motion, like you said, that sensory mm. kind of stimulation, but you don't have the parent staring at you. Um, not that they, they do, but the child might perceive, gosh, I need to perform here, mm. and I don't know really how to do it. Whereas in the car, they can have that shared... Um, engagement without the pressures of the interaction well let's tie it in then because make it a collaboration would kind of tie in with one of mine which is 
a term that I use in lots of training actually but it's, it's get next to them not opposite and I use that kind of figuratively and literally you know so if I'm doing a session with a young person I'll very often be rather than being directly opposite them across the table I'll be either side by side or I'll be at a slight angle so that there's I mean there's more opportunity for referencing there or well a certain type of referencing yeah. there um, but also I think it reduces that pressure it makes it feel more collaborative um, and it, it if you can't you might be listening to this thinking well how am I going to collaborate with my child when they don't they seem to just be focused on the object well one of the things you can start to do is do the same activity next to them initially and then bring that into a joint activity that's yeah. something that I've done with a couple of parents where we you know we're, we're both drawing a picture and now we're going to draw a picture together and you kind of you scaffold into that so that's really quickly covered that one I think I've lost track of where we are so number we've had three number well th- I'm, I'm in number three well yeah you would be because you're you're just jumping in in front of yeah, me all the I'm time thinking I'm, I'm on number two still oh yes mm. yes <laughs> no you go for number three for you Sylvia What's oh, your th- number? that's so kind <laughs> <laughs> As I march my way through this one, well, I, 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 it was going back to your number one about adjusting communication, which is giving that feedback, mm. um, and and you know, kind of that goes into you know, we talked about it briefly about that modeling and demonstration, and giving feedback, not only kind of that emotional sharing of emotions from your part or I'm having a great time because we are bouncing together or mm. or this is act this activity is going to be so exciting. So that kind of level of language which brings emotional states I think is very, very uh, important. And also just modeling why you might be doing that. It's just taking the interaction from what are you doing to why are you doing it mm. uh, and, and I think it helps the child to view it as a continuum and kind of having that social goal rather than performance goal that we need to finish this picture mm. or we need to do the tower but how the tower what does it look like it doesn't really matter mm. but the process of doing it together in collaboration is so much fun because you've got to kind of so often with an activity there, there's the once the child becomes aware of how to do the activity they no longer really need you so you've got to give them the value of doing yeah. it with you rather than just doing it as opposed to doing it with themselves and that yeah. kind of feedback of how you feel during the activity is really important um, yeah you know. okay um well i've got i think i've well, you've done my number three, so it's very confusing Oopsie. right now. But I think this is potentially the last one. Yeah. Yeah, so number six in total. Um, but I've kind of just got using preferred interests. Um, in terms of s- the social interaction side of things, and certainly in RDI, that's something I usually steer away from, is if they've got a very fixed interest in something, we try not to use that for the social interaction side of things. But more recently I've kind of shifted back towards it in terms of helping the parent or a professional plan for engaging the young person in things they find difficult so education type things um, in terms of you know for for older young people what are they going to do with their education which direction are they going to go in Um, 
it's that I think you you gave me a book recently. You recommended a book recently by Nick Chown. Oh yes, yes. About with all the, the sort of theories yeah, on autism, yeah. and there was a really good bit in there about educational theory in autism, yeah. and how lots of the research shows that that reduced field of interest you know that narrow field of interest is actually really important to get them to progress in education um and it's more and more working with parents of kids in mainstream schools in particular it does strike me that the education system is kind of set up the wrong way round Mm. for autism because you start off with all these massive subjects like 20 subjects or whatever and you narrow it down to university where you get to pick your favorite topic and immerse yourself in it and actually, if it was the other way around, maybe we'd have more young people on with autism getting to that level of, of education. I don't know, but I don't know, but I, I do. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think, I think that the key with you know preferred interest is the degree of that interest, mm. um, in terms of how much value the child places in that interest. Mm-hmm. Because there's there's kind of this dimension between an interest and and an obsession. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, I would I I always moved away from kind of obsessive topics mm-hmm. um, when working with anyone on the spectrum, mainly because then it doesn't facilitate that collaboration mm-hmm. because then it is all about the knowledge that the and the the interest that the person has um but using those interests that are not too great that they're going to interfere mm. with them acknowledging you i think is the best is the the way forward because mm-hmm. if i introduce something that i'm really interested in uh, but the child doesn't have any motivation whatsoever then you spend a lot of time trying to engage them mm. in anything. Whereas if you use something that they're passionate about, mm. then you you write in there. It's also it can often be a springboard for stretching them in areas that they're uncomfortable with. I mean, another chap I'm working with at the moment is his mum says that the most valuable thing in his life at the moment is geocaching because it's where he goes to to socialize and, and you know admittedly that social interaction is often with older people with the same interests but you know it strikes me as odd sometimes that we might steer away from say if it, I, mean, I know what you're saying about the kind of the, the rigid topics yeah but it to me it depends on what they're how they're communicating it if it's yeah. constantly just regurgitating facts to you then that's something that's hard to engage in but if like I had a young person um, who used to come here and he, his sort of enthusiasm was football and he found out I was from Southampton and that I supported Southampton Football Club. I don't really, I'm not interested in football but I didn't need to sort of elaborate on that too much with him. Um, so he would always come up to me and talk to me about that. He'd seek me out, he'd ask me what I thought, he'd, he'd interact. It was always about football but you know it was an interaction. Um, so and it, and it would be odd to kind of not engage in that when I was just thinking then you know every time we meet we talk about autism yeah <laughs> and you know I, I yeah I, I totally agree and that goes back to the point one of getting to know the individual mm. you know and he might have that enthusiasm about 
um, football, but that allows him to be curious about your opinions you, on, yes. you know, or your ideas about the Sunday match, whatever it is. Mm. And it kind of serves as that vehicle for that social interaction. Um, so how do you approach, because my approach now is if someone's got that kind of rigid interest and they talk and they verbalise it a lot, I tend to interject and give my opinion on it and see what they do with that. Mm. Do you tend to ignore it and move them on to something else? Or? No, I, I actually give the feedback. Right, so you so, would say something like, I'm not, I'm not. I don't like this topic or or I'm not I don't know much about this topic or even if the child kind of gets really centered around say for instance football to the point that doesn't stop for me to take turns mm. then I would say oh I would love to say something about that right. and then I would just go and and say it even if then he carries on saying his beat or oh, and sometimes they get very desperate because they really want to say what they want to say and you have interrupted them so they see you not as another person um and and they don't see it as a conversation they see it as you know you are stopping me yeah and it's instrumental you know um i still give the feedback mm -hmm. because that's a way of teaching them you know, kind of the, the implicit aspects of conversations, yeah. turn-taking, uh, sharing information, you know, seeing other people's point of view and, and all that. So I, I would use that, but it, it does depend on, on the person. Yeah. It's just how many obstacles you have to overcome mm. in order to, to kind of get them into that collaborative state and and i guess it also in getting to know the person i i sometimes feel like certain repeated phrases or topics are part of that person's regulation you yeah. know they're doing it to reduce anxiety so you've got to be careful sometimes how you interact but what's lovely with that kind of feedback idea is that you're not interrupt you're not stopping it you're you're not saying stop talking about that no. you're giving your position back to them and they can then choose to ignore it or they can take the information yeah. and change yeah um, and you know i do have a young lady who does that that we she's able to maintain a conversation and and she she's got a fairly good understanding of but she does tend to get fixated into a detail so say for instance if i if we are in the shops and I drop something and he, she finds that funny and and she would say oh you are so clumsy and we will have a, a laugh about it and then she would go on and say oh you're so clumsy you and then you know an hour later she would go yeah. she would still be repeating that um and I never never has I've never stopped her because I think like, like like you were saying it is her way of kind of maintaining something mm -hmm. regulating herself and I just tend to allow her to go through that process and then I will mention something else oh well look at this or let's do that or let's go here and she's able to shift that and and then she might say oh you dropped that from two hours ago but it's just kind of a, a monitoring element mm. and if you know the person 
I think it's is is respectful anyway. Just not yeah. to say, just well, we're not in there anymore. I don't want to hear about mm. whatever happened ever again. Mm. That's that's impossible. Whenever you say stop, they can at some point can say no. Yeah. <laughs> so then, then, then what do you do? You stop, don't you? Yeah. Um, okay. I think that's that's covered everything on there, isn't it? Because you kind of make no assumptions was part of get to know the person yeah absolutely um, so Sylvia's first tip was to not read any reports from other professionals um, <laughs> yeah, I think we should put it on you know kind of as a description that? of until you know, afterwards the, you, you did say until afterwards yes, you, you, yeah, really, you, know. you know I, I don't have such a great ego that I don't read it because <laughs> I think they're rubbish no it's just because for my own kind of information gathering I was getting I really excited it. then because I hate reading reports I was thinking oh if Sylvia said that I don't have to then maybe <laughs> don't blame me yeah, but yeah, yeah I think it's, it's spot on though it's about making your um, getting to know the person yourself and who they are with you as well you know? yeah because uh, your relationship with them will change their behaviour in, in lots of ways and, yeah, yeah because I, I, no one should be defined by autism Mm. you know they might be influenced by it but i i don't want to be you know kind of knowing someone based on their autism mm. i want to get to know the person who happens to be autistic but that does actually my my approach to it Definitely. um well hopefully later on in some of the other episodes i'm i'm going to get some um individuals who have autism to come on the podcast because I think that would be great for people to sort of get insights it's, mm. it's an interesting time as a professional because you know I, I think it's really important if I'm working with people with autism to listen to as much information about what they say and what they want um, but you'd get two different schools of thoughts you'll get individuals that will say autism is part of who I am and it's you know mm. and it should be um I think what's the, the the battle between the terms? It's an autistic person yeah. or a person with autism. Yeah. Um, I tend to swing more to what you were saying that actually it's an individual with autism. Um, but then if someone wants to be known as autistic, that's their right yeah. to do that. So it's it's hard to kind of find the balance. And I think the more that we listen to people and and hear what they're saying as their truth and their story, and that's important. Um, the better so hopefully yeah. we can get some of them on can't there. wait to listen to to those next well episodes. i might let you come along to some of them if you're available but it depends if you let me well it, it does let me have <laughs> at least Another half one. of the six okay. tips that we've had on there but you know yeah fine well like i say people are people are probably gonna get sick of listening to me anyway so um it's great that you've been able to come along and give your expertise yeah um thanks for coming and and thanks again for for being on the podcast I, I, I can only hope that people listen to it so then we've got an excuse to do it again yeah me too excellent me too thank you, you very go, much you better go pick up your kids now yeah I'm going to go <laughs> <your> kids <laughs> thanks <Sylvia. laughs> thank you and thanks everybody for listening <laughs>